Hello and welcome to another edition of After Further Review with Mark and John. Unfortunately, due to a technical issue, we missed the first few minutes of this show. This is Jeff, the producer, and uh, we'll join John and Mark in progress talking about Don Shula, the late, great Miami Dolphins head coach. Team and a couple of great teams thrown in there that didn't win championships, but they never bottomed out enough to really consider rebuilding. Um, yeah, but yeah. that longevity is is really almost unprecedented. That level of success and that longevity is almost uh, unprecedented. And no doubt about uh, it. for a guy who joined the National Football League as a player in 1951 and then retired in 1995 with the legacy he had, seven years as a player, all those years as a, first an assistant coach and then a head coach, it's um, it's it's a resume that it's really, really hard uh, to find one that uh, parallels it. Well, someone who I think can speak to it a lot better than you and I uh, is someone we're going to bring into the show right now who uh, who grew up in Florida, uh, South Florida as a boy, experienced probably some of the greatest joys as well as some of the greatest heartbreaks a young fan can possibly experience. We've got Riley Claremont in, in the show, perhaps perhaps the greatest Dolphin fan we know. We want to welcome to you to the show, Riley Claremont, and, and certainly all of our condolences to you, sir. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. It's always bizarre because uh, my stance on this is it, what you guys already said, 90, 90 Don Shula years. So why would we mourn that? Why would we, you know, right. why, would we, why would we be sad about a man who pretty right. much did exactly what he wanted to do you know, when we talk about Keith Richards never had a real job, I mean, <laughs> we might be able to make the same argument for Don Shula. You know, guys like him and, and, and Don Zimmer in baseball, who literally, you know, went straight from college into a gig in the pros, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, assistant at Virginia. Didn't we talk about that earlier, uh, John? When we were talking yeah, about Yeah, first job was an assistant football coach at the University of Virginia. Yeah, so why would we why would we be grieving and mourning 90 Don Shula years? However, uh, when I was driving home from uh, from I actually had a gig this morning uh, and listening. Congratulations, to the radio, by the way. Yeah, well, it's very temporary. It's you know two more shifts. Um, and listening to the radio coverage about it, uh, I I started to get choked up, and and I I think and I could have you know I could have cried if I didn't you know slap myself in the face and say, "Be a man! What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> to that point, though, Riles, one of the things that I think is interesting is that, you know, we, Mark and I have talked about this on the show, and we've all talked about this before. And for full disclosure, people who don't know Riley, we all work together at the ESPN Club and other sports events. And Riley and I have been working together in shows for 25-plus years. But uh, you're, when you're 7 or 8 years old is really when you start to become, at least for, for most of us, that's when you really start to become aware of professional sports, college sports, start to become a fan. You, you're, you know, you're, you've matured enough to settle down and watch a game. Whereas when you're younger, you generally want to go play. So you were seven years old when the Dolphins won their uh, their their Super Bowl. Maybe six, waiting to turn seven. So you were. Well, no, I, I remember. I'm. I remember 1970. I remember 70. I remember being devastated about the uh, the loss against the Cowboys in '71. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, the perfect season. I mean, let's just talk about it this way. When when I got home and I, I, I explained to, to Michelle that inexplicably I almost started crying in the car listening to the radio about Don Shula on the way home, you know, I told her, uh, this is a man who has been part of my life for 50 years. You know, he started coaching the Dolphins in 1970. I was born in 1965. Now, in 1970, you know, it's, it's a little gray, it's a little foggy, 
But, man, I remember dialing in. I mean, my, I think one of my initial sports memories is watching that Kansas City Chiefs playoff game on Christmas Day. And then from that point on, I was hooked. And so seeing them be devastated by the Cowboys uh, in 1971 and then for them to come back in 72, uh, back-to-back Super Bowls in 72, 73. I mean, again, this is a man who is pretty much, I've jokingly said, been my second father, you know, for 50 years uh, of my life. So you guys can talk about the numbers. We can play the parlor games about championships won and lost. The bottom line. Uh, and I sure I speak for every NFL fan and certainly for all Dolphin fans and certainly for the people uh, that have been in South Florida for any great length of time. Uh, the man's an institution. All the cliches apply. There was never a hint of scandal on or off the field. Yes, he was a hard ass, but he could, he also had a great sense of humor. He was very warm off the field. And I think that's a, you know you may hear that about Belichick, uh, but I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I had the honor and privilege of hosting him doing a, a speech and then a Q&A afterwards. And we always talk about, you know, for all the athletes and, and, and coaches and, uh, and, and front office folks that we've had the honor of interviewing and being a part of, you know, if just for a half hour, an hour or so, we always uh, wonder how they treat the folks backstage. And I know, and I'll bring this up, you know, Barry Bonds was backstage, one of the most gracious kind people that I've ever seen with, with servers, with folks who couldn't do anything for him. Uh, and the couple of occasions that I uh, bore witness to Don Shula, he was exactly the same way. And one last very quick anecdote. He came to the club uh, probably about seven to 10 years, maybe longer after he retired with his, with his second wife, after his first wife passed away from breast cancer. And he had, he had lunch, and I think there was a playoff game going on or something going on football-wise. Maybe it was a college football day. Mm-hmm. And some people started to approach him uh, asking for autographs. And, of course, our default was to go, um, yeah, hey, maybe we should make an announcement to please, you know, leave Coach alone. He just wants to have lunch, blah, blah, blah. Well, his wife comes over to the, uh, to the big radio booth in the middle of the restaurant and informs us that, hey, Coach would like to sign autographs. And so they quickly set up a table. He came over. He was gracious. In other words, my point is he got it. He right. was one of these guys that was totally submersed in X's and O's. But it was time to turn that off and be a family man, to be a community leader, uh, to just be a gracious human being with the fans, the kids from 1 to 80 that loved him and worshipped him. He was that guy. Yeah. And I'm getting choked up. Oh, <laughs> I'm wow. sorry. Well, well that's, that's – can I – go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to wrap it up by saying that that's the real testament is whatever role he chose, whether it was husband, father, entrepreneur, community leader or coach. And in his case, the way he embraced that was to be a hard ass. But he embraced all of those roles with excellence and with a a, a complete focus on others. So, I mean, that's the ultimate testimony above and beyond all of the stats and all of the remarkable numbers that we could get into forever. But that's a great testimony. Go ahead, Johnny. Sorry. Well, I just wanted to no, that's OK. I just wanted to mention, that, you know, he started in the National Football League in 1951 when it was an afterthought to professional baseball, to boxing, maybe even to horse racing as far as sports that people really, really focused on. And he left in 1995, the winningest, winningest coach of all time uh, with uh, when the NFL was just ubiquitous. Um, for all of us year round. So he really saw through all of that. But Riles, before before we let you go to uh, to to weep more and certainly understand <laughs> he, he's he's a huge figure. But in the we're going to talk a little bit later about the, the Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches and who we think uh, should be on that. Um, 
But as far as Miami sports icons, I would argue everyone loves Dan Marino. They're, you know, obviously uh, Dwayne Wade gets a lot of love. But there is no bigger sports icon in South Florida than Don, uh, than Don Shula. And I think it's going to remain that way for a very long time. Wouldn't you agree? The Absolutely. And here's the thing. And here's the case I'll make for Shula. And you've heard me say this a bunch of times, but I'll say it for the folks that are listening. Uh, and then they already know this, but it bears repeating. Regardless of the numbers, regardless of the accumulation of wins, et cetera. Um, yes, the perfect season is the perfect season. And no one can ever take that away from him or any member of that team. The overarching point, though, about Don Shula is that, to your point, he started in 1951. And then he coached as head coach of the Colts. It's Unitas. It's that brand of football. He comes to a brand new team. You know what? Five years in the leagues, the Miami Dolphins. And, and Taylor, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, but also a little bit of early West Coast stuff with a lot of timing patterns, short, short passes, precision passing game backed up by the first duo in NFL history to both run for 1,000 yards of Mercury Morris and Larry Zonka. Uh, Generationally, Unitas, greasy, 70, 60s football, 70s football. And then when he is graced by the presence, when, when Dan Marino falls to the Miami Dolphins, they completely, he completely changes his offensive philosophy to suit the talent he had. Now, over 17 years of, Don, of uh, Marino's career, yes, it didn't result in a championship or even a second appearance in the Super Bowl. That's for the gods and the face to decide. It doesn't take away from the fact that Don Shula, as so many other coaches, are incapable of doing, even in today's sports landscape, he changed, he evolved, he was a hard ass, he could also be a player's coach, he was just a good, solid American, and I'll miss him very much. Well, we want to thank you for that moving and uh, poignant <laughs> tribute, Riley Claremont. And uh, looking forward to having you back on the show, my friend. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Love you guys. Good luck with the rest of the show. And please go go easy on Shula's legacy, at least for a day. For fuck's <laughs> sake, one day. Thank you, Riley. And now we, we move on to the legacies. The he was on Tom Olivadotti and all the other bullshit. Now right? let's move on to Joe Gibbs and Bill Walsh. Uh, <laughs> now, thanks, Riles. Thank you very much, Riley. And I think Don Mattingly will be the icon in South Florida before before uh, before long. All right, folks. Well, Don Shula today passes away at 90 years old. It was breaking news right before we started taping. And uh, that was great. I loved Riley. Uh, I loved the tribute about him as a guy, basically, more than even a, a football man. No, and it's just, you know, when you have uh, – I can't imagine how many of us can imagine having a coach – who, when you're six, seven years old, he's the coach of your favorite team, and then you're in, you're in your 30s when he leaves that team. I mean, that that's something, yeah. Mark. I think we're not going to see for anyone moving forward because it, things just move too quickly here. Belichick. And Belichick's going to do it. I guess Belichick would be the one, but you look at most coaches going through. I, I think at one point Don Shula in a 14 game season had a six and eight schedule. Well, he'd be on the hot seat the next year. Even even if he'd won you know, 12 games the year before. So Don Shula, 90 years. And how many people can you say this about, Mark, a life well lived? Yeah, well, certainly not you and I, my friend. Ew. All right. Well, let's get to our first set of progressive trivia. We are looking for a football player. First set of clues coming up. Over 7,000 all-purpose yards in college this guy had. Ten-plus year career. Zero playoff touchdowns. And played with three teams. So over 7,000 all-purpose yards in college, 10-plus year career in the National Football League, zero playoff touchdowns, 
in the NFL, obviously, played with three teams. It's our first set of clues. If you have a guess, text them to me, boys. And if you're listening to us live in, well, about an hour from now, good luck. Well, last night, uh, the last dance, we had a, a, another episode air. Two more. Another, two more. Couple of ep- another couple of episodes airing. Yep. And, um, and this one was famous because it was, uh, you know, the very famous quote that Michael Jordan said when asked about a, a, a basically a, a senatorial race in North Carolina between Jesse Helms and uh, Howard Gant, I think, or r- one of those. I, I, I should have had the name, but I don't. It was 1990. It's Harvey. It was Harvey. Uh, Harvey Gant. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, even even Republicans buy buy tennis shoes. Yeah. Notoriously, he well, notoriously, probably again, I don't want to slant this too much, but uh, uh, Jordan was not a social activist in any way. Um, And I believe it was his mother uh, who uh, was actually supporting the campaign. And his mother actually even asked him about taking part. And uh, Jordan stayed above the political fray. Um, He He was criticized by that by a lot of people. But his comment was Republicans also buy tennis shoes. And that's not incorrect. And he stood by it. And, you know, his I, I think he ended up contributing financially to the to the campaign. But I, I just think it's very interesting that he got a little bit of guff from that for not being more of an activist, for not being more like Muhammad Ali, who he obviously truly admires. Oh, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I also think there is a place for when your sports heroes sort of don't enter the fray and that everyone can enjoy them one way or the other. I think, frankly, I think his legacy is more secure because of that, frankly, whether whether or not you agree with how that works in, in our country with his brand and everything else, it will. Well, it still remains it. It laps LeBron's sales and so forth. It his legacy is still above the game. He's might as well be Babe Ruth in terms right. of in terms of uh, basketball. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he just saw fans as fans as not and not as party affiliates. Well, and I think, you know, and Jordan still obviously referred to as as the greatest of all time. And that that's a debate. And we've talked about it on here. But I, but I really think you know, for uh, the reason that Jordan was as good as he was, was that laser focus that everyone talked about and the ultimate uh, competitiveness of a guy like Michael Jordan. They showed him playing, you know, throwing quarters yeah. up against a wall with guys. And you could tell, I mean, he was, you know, he's, he kept trying to, he kept playing when he would lose because he wanted to win again. And somebody said, you know, if you play anything with Michael Jordan, he's going to want to play until he's won and then he'll walk away. And I think yeah. for Jordan, uh, some people can balance that. And some people choose to balance that and they want more balance in their life. And this is not a criticism of Jordan. Uh, But he 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 was focused on one thing. Right. He did. He was focused on one thing. And I think Michael Jordan, uh, who notoriously did not make his high school basketball team as a sophomore, all those stories. He was driven by slights, driven um, by uh, by any time anyone would compare someone to Jordan. There's the the great Tony Kukoc story in in last night's about Kukoc getting some credit and just Jordan wanting to go out and destroy him in uh, in Olympic games. That would that was what fueled him. And I think he always felt and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you, you're in talk and this it, it becomes apparent that 
His focus was winning basketball games and being the best basketball player that he could possibly be and playing as to as close a level as perfection as possible. Nothing else really crept in at that point for him. Not at all. And I think it was a bit unfair for folks to try and, you know, sort of make him into an activist or or say it's it's your duty as a black man to, you know, make sure Jesse Helms, who obviously uh, was no friend of the black man uh, politically, that he, you know, if he had any pull that he should be responsible to do that. I think that's a bit unfair when we when we talk about Ali you know, he was talking about Vietnam, and, and today is the 50th anniversary of Kent State, by the way, which was a protest in reaction to bombing of Cambodia, which is still probably one of the worst decisions a president has ever made in the history of time, is to bomb a completely innocent country um, that had nothing to do with anything. Uh, regardless, the Kent State folks, and and we will say this, those kids, you know, clearly were the lucky ones who were who didn't get shot that day, but who were in college as opposed to overseas. But, I mean, that kind of war, it was that kind of stakes, not only overseas and the war itself, but with the country. And for Ali to step up and say what he said about that, to me, the stakes are a lot higher than an election in North Carolina, John. So well, I, you, I, don't, I, I think it's unfair to, to equate the two. And, yeah, and, oh, and overall, just it was a it was a the 60s were a much more activist time for a lot of reasons, uh, the Vietnam War being at the fore. But uh, when Jordan you know, was approached in the 90s, it was uh, while these issues are still very, very important, they weren't quite out front and center as much. Um, so it's uh, it's not surprising that there yeah, were guys who point. were who were doing well um, uh economically because a lot of times that that you know if you if you're succeeding economically you're somewhat segregated from what other folks are going through uh, but yeah i i've never criticized michael jordan about that uh, my politics are as you know incredibly left leaning and i would love nothing more for him to have come out and to defeated uh, jesse helms but i i, I don't think I don't think that he bears I don't think any athlete bears a responsibility or anyone in the spotlight, athlete, actor, whatever, uh, bears a responsibility to uh, to be overtly politically active. The other side of that, for me, even someone who comes down on the side of something that I don't agree with, I don't agree with Kurt Schilling on uh, the things that that he said and done. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't watch a Kurt Schilling game or, in fact, I pulled right. for Kurt Schilling in games after yes. that. I can disagree with his position and I can criticize some of the actions he took, but uh, he has every right to do that. And Michael Jordan had every right to not do that. Right. And, and, and you are able to keep two thoughts, two divergent thoughts in your head. At the same time, so you can disagree vehemently with Kurt Schilling and his politics and then root just as vehemently when he's trying to put down the Yankees when the Red Sox are coming back from the 3-0 deficit. You can do both. And I think everyone should be able to do both. And and I think the people that that kind of ripped him for that, you know, that – that's not his problem. That's that's those people's problem. To me, well, to me, that's part of the problem where we are right now is that everyone sort of has to be in a camp. And frankly, yes, there's a place for Ali and yes, there's a place for activism, but there's also a place for rising above it. You could argue that he did as much. Now, of course, here we are, old whiteys 
talking about who's done what for the black community. With that as a massive caveat, ladies and gentlemen, you could argue that Jordan did as much for the black community as as Ali did. You know what I mean? I think there's a place for both. I, while I don't agree that you could argue he did as much for them, I, I would I would agree. Yeah, that there are certain uh, certain benefits of Jordan's. Um, you don't agree that, that, he, that, that what he did and his iconic status. You don't agree with that? I mean, in, in terms of what he you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's something I mean, I could argue Michael Jordan helped lead the way to Barack Obama, whereas well, yeah. if you okay. been more attacking of of Whitey, it may have been a less of, a, you know, more of a problem. You know what okay. I mean? I, I see. I see your point. I think it's a a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch for me uh, because because Ali so reluctant to go after me and you have to wrap up. uh, No, you're a moron. Uh, You have to wrap up there. I went after you. Uh, You you, you have to also tie Ali into uh, a number of different uh, social movements. It wasn't just Vietnam. Uh, there was black empowerment and a lot of other things involved with that. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Ali, um, I, I would I would I would like to err on the side of saying I think Ali did a little bit more than Michael Jordan. But it, but it but it is fair to argue that Michael Jordan uh, passively did have uh, there were some positive effects of his icon status for the African-American community. But I don't think I would argue that he did as much. No. I would, nor again. Let's get back to my overarching point: is I don't think he is required to do that. Now, certainly, African Americans will have who have had a different experience may feel differently, and I think that's valid as well. But one of the right. problems that I have, and this is on either side, is that people who go on television, who have television shows as pundits and experts, um, coming out and saying that people, athletes and, 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 and actors and whatever someone's position, our models, whatever that puts you in the, uh, in the public consciousness should just shut up and sing or shut up and dance. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Every person, whatever their position in society has every right to have political ideas and to voice them. And the right. idea that somebody who goes on it, whose job is to go on a television show and and be an opinion columnist would say uh, uh, that someone else doesn't have a right to air right. their opinion. You know, most of them are just a little bit upset that my Muhammad Ali's or uh, George Clooney's or uh, Sean Penn's uh, status gives them a larger uh, a larger audience, and I think that's what they're upset about is that those people get a larger audience. And again, for the audience, you can pick and choose. Uh, you you should probably arrive at your political positions independent of the political positions of your sports or uh, entertainment heroes. Jeff, you have a you have a comment. You look like you're you're poised and ready to go. I was just offended by your use of the term whitey. <laughs> <laughs> All there's right, nobody enough. there's nobody paler than me right now and i'm not offended by it oh no I, and you should not be pale john pelk you have a pool you have a you have an outside in a pool i don't i don't tan i burn and peel burn peel burn peel that's that's not a good uh that's not good for you and plus i've i uh i i go to the dermatologist from time to time so i'm, oh, I'm that's trying right. to take, 
trying to take a little better care of myself. You have some issues with 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 the skin, so there there it is. Uh, sports, I think you know we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later too. But it, they they certainly can unite. We've seen yeah. that in many many instances. There's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, with Jordan and that '92 team, Johnny. I mean, that '92 basketball team was as embraced from the get as any as any team in Olympic history. Wouldn't you agree that because with with the miracle on ice, that was embraced sort of into their run, but they weren't embraced like the unprecedented way the 92 dream team was. Would you yeah. agree with that? Uh, I mean, I think I, that's, I think that's science. I would. And, 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 you know, me, uh, and a, I know, I, I think you know this about me. I was not a, uh, dream team fan. I still don't no, really get I think any most people of their, their love is abated. And I, and, and frankly, even at the time I was not in favor of it. Uh, I thought, you know, it was, a, it was an overreaction to John Thompson, um, not taking any point guards to Seoul and the team losing. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Americans were all up in arms because, well, these guys are professionals. Why should we? Well, you know what? We beat them with college guys before. So I, I just I, I, I always felt like it was kind of a little bit of bad sportsmanship. I know I'm in the minority with that. Um, I, I, I didn't see that sending an NBA all-star team that was going to go through people like crap through a goose was going to be anything that was entertaining or to be proud of. Sure. Um, it but was the fun country to embraced them, man, I'll tell you. Yeah, it was fun to watch those guys play together. But as far as some sort of athletic achievement, I would say it pales in comparison to the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Well, of course, I would I would agree with that I'll in agree terms there. of the, the underdog status and all that stuff. Obviously, there was, you know, everyone they everyone they came across, the dream team, was a, at least a 30-point dog. It was essentially that Peyton Manning Saturday Night Live where Peyton Manning's playing touch football with a bunch of nine-year-olds. And I don't know if you remember that, but look it up. It's hysterical. Oh, it's but he's great. just riddling them uh, and then just completely uh, reading them for every mistake they make. And, you know, it, was, it, it kind of felt like the same thing to me. It felt like a little bit of sour grapes again because of the uh, – yeah. and I like John Thompson. But John Thompson screwed up with the team that he took to Seoul in 88. And, uh, you know, so for me, it seemed like a little sour grapes. I'm, of course, always pulling for the, the underdog anyway. Sure. So – I, I I don't know what the big thrill of it was other than to see the greatest basketball players on earth playing together. Yeah. And, yeah. and you send, you send your best athletes to the Olympics. I mean, that's always been the thing. It's unfortunate that at that time that was an American sport, but I mean, you watch it now, we could send our best, best athletes to the Olympics now in basketball and they would have to compete. Yeah, no, I agree, Jeff. In fact, probably so, the, the one good thing that came out of it in my mind is that international basketball had to step up its game, and it certainly has. Yes. Oh, there's no doubt about the growth of international basketball has been remarkable. Okay, we are going to do four more progressive trivias. Here's a reminder of the first four clues. He had 7,000 all-purpose yards, 7,000 all-purpose yards uh, in college. He had a 10-plus-year career in the NFL, zero playoff touchdowns, played with three teams. Here are the next four coming up. Over 60 touchdowns in the National Football League, over 300 receptions in the National Football League. He was a Maxwell Award winner. He led the NFL in rushing as well. Led the NFL in rushing, Maxwell Award winner, over 300 receptions, over 60 touchdowns. Played with three teams, zero playoff touchdowns, 10-plus year career, 
over 7,000 all-purpose yards in college, and it is not Herschel Walker, which was Jeff's guess. That was a good, I thought that was a pretty good guess. That's it, why it, I didn't guess, actually, for the first three clues. It was a very, very good guess, and I didn't uh, chime in to say wrong uh, early enough, so you, you would have probably guessed at that point in time. All right, Don Shula passes away at age 90. We had uh, our, our great friend and colleague, Riley Claremont, in to, to speak to it, and he's a, a, a big, big Miami Dolphin fan and has been ever since he was a, a young lad. And um, it led us to thinking about the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of NFL coaches, because there's certainly an argument to be made, John Pelkey, that Don Shula deserves to be up there. He's he's won the mo- more games than anyone else. Right. He 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 won uh, two championships, went to five Super Bowls, was in the playoffs multiple times in a 30 plus year career, only finished under 500 twice. And uh, and Tim Riley's point adjusted to the game as yeah. opposed to forcing his system onto everyone else. So uh, but it got us to thinking. And you and I are both both big history nuts. And you did a Mount Rushmore audio tour. I wrote the Mount Rushmore audio tour. If you go to Mount Rushmore and take the audio tour and I highly recommend it. I do not get a financial st- I have no financial stake in it. Uh, though I probably should um, take the audio tour. Not only did I write it, uh, yeah. I'm also the voice of all four presidents. How about that? Augmented. Uh, so I don't sound exactly like me. But you probably have to do a little, you know, maybe a Southern accent for Thomas Jefferson, perhaps. And um, I, I, I kept it fairly. I, I, I really didn't do a lot. I didn't want to make it cartoony. Uh, so uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's won a number of awards. I was the and, third and, president. And, and, <laughs> I, I wrote the Declaration of Independence. Yeehaw. Um, not really sure that's how uh, our third president spoke. Uh, but uh, I, I highly recommend know. it. Of all the things I've ever done, it's probably the thing I'm proudest of. And that's nice. And it's still there as we yeah, speak. Oh, are, yeah. you, are you sure that it's that people go and put the headphones on once everything opens up again? Yep. They'll hear the voice of John Pelkey. It's still there. Yes, it is. I do know that for a fact. Well, we love Mount Rushmore. We love the historical context of Mount Rushmore. And, you know, it's Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. So when I threw my thoughts at the at the board that, that John Pelkey vehemently disagrees with, I thought, well, George Hallis is essentially the father of the National Football League. We would not have an NFL without without George Hallis. So he has to be up there as uh, the George Washington. I would say uh, the next one we think about oftentimes is Vince Lombardi. For obvious reasons, he owned the 60s. He turned a a one-win team around and got them to an NFL championship within two years and then won five out of seven. So he's sort of the Jefferson. Uh, Lincoln, to me, and I think most people would agree that Lincoln was our best president. Would, Would everyone on this show agree that Lincoln was our best president? Yes, uh, I would. I would agree with that. OK, so I would put Bill Belichick up there because I think we would all agree that he's the best NFL coach of all time at this point. I don't think there's and real, Lin- and any argument. Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus, which was clearly illegal. So he sort of cheated. So kind there of, you know, so th- so it fits. And then so the question is, who's the Teddy Roosevelt? And so I presented that to John. But John has a serious problem with my first three somehow. Well, I just I kind of have a who would you put? Let me ask you this first. Who would you put as the Teddy Roosevelt? Because I want to hear all four before I because I criticized George Hallis. 
um, because he's not the first name that comes to mind when I think of guys who would be on the Mount Rushmore. You, you make a compelling argument. Absolutely. He was in that Humpmobile dealership in Canton, Ohio, when they when they put the league together. And uh, he was a driving force in the first uh, 40 plus to. Well, hell, he had decision making yeah, until 80 in the mid 80s. Yeah. Yeah. He had he hired Mike Ditka, for God's sake. Um, yeah. And kept so. Buddy Ryan on that team. So, yes, he. he yeah. So 60 plus years of the NFL. But uh, I, I made an argument for Paul Brown. But I want to know who's your fourth, if, if indeed your top three are Hallis, Lombardi, and Belichick. Who would you slot into number four? Well, you make a compelling argument for Paul Brown because of how he essentially reinvented the game and how much influence he has. Uh, you know, really guy the first like- guy with film study, scouting. Yeah. Um, headphones, players, headphones. Yeah. He had a, he had a, a headphone in autograms helmet in the fifties. Yeah. Calling um, plays from the sideline, completely innovative. There's no doubt about it, John situational and, players as well. And the coaches that came from that idea and that tree includes Bill Walsh includes iconic head coaches as well. So and Don Shula, you make a compelling argument but I said, I think he's more like an Alexander Hamilton, who was really a brain and really invented new systems that have sustained themselves and that have been influential, not, a, not only in our country in terms of the financial systems he invented, but he was he was right in there with the Constitution with with James Madison. He, he defended it more than anyone else. He wrote about it. Uh, yeah, the, 51 articles of uh, or uh, federal Federalist Papers. Yeah, the majority like of the Federalist Papers are, are all Hamilton. I agree. I mean, that's a you, you make a good argument if you're if we're looking at it in terms of Mount Rushmore. But I just you know, I just look at innovations and where the game sits right now. And uh, it's hard for me to keep Paul Brown off of that. I understand that. And, and that's a good argument to put him as the Teddy Roosevelt. But I think I would probably put. A guy, you know, and and I know I'm a homer on this one, but I would probably put Bill Walsh as the Teddy because, in a way, you can see that you can see kind of the line on some level between an Alexander Hamilton and a Teddy Roosevelt, who was a very progressive uh, politician for his time. He essentially his administration and the legacy, more importantly, because I think the legislation that came after his administration is almost more impressive than in his administration but that sort of wrote the textbook for you know for 20th century american politics well yeah i think i mean i think there's a really great argument to be to be made for the fact that uh you know we had seen in lincoln uh, certainly um and uh essentially just lincoln up to that point what we would consider the imperial presidency which is taking a lot of uh investing yourself with a lot of powers that are that you could debate constitutionally i brought up the uh, uh suspending the writ of habeas corpus yes which would would have proved which was illegal but again that's wartime uh teddy roosevelt was really the first president who elevated the powers of the presidency not during wartime in fact roosevelt even talked about you know, he didn't feel that his presidency was quite complete enough because he hadn't been a wartime president. So he took it. He took that responsibility for a number of other things, uh, working conditions with people. And he was a, a very progressive politician in those progressive uh, 
policies. And, he continued. And, and I think Hamilton was in his right as well. Sure. And so just like Brown did what he did, Walsh was sort of that the next generation or generation and a half from that. And so I think I would put him I think I think you could make an argument for him being the Teddy because of his innovations sort of wrote the script for the last 25 to 30 years in the National Football League. So, yes, he was influenced by Paul Brown. And yes, Paul Brown. I mean, yes, he deserves a huge mention, obviously. And I, I think you make a great point because of the championships he won. He, he really isn't Alexander Hamilton in the sense that it was more than just a one trick pony. He was. You know, he, he did a lot of things and he was around for much longer than, you know, say an Alexander Hamilton is. And, and the people that can follow this conversation <laughs> that equates, I, I love those it. Press, you know, I love those listeners. I love hey, you. that was the part when we put this together, we said, you know, it's not going to all be sports. It's not going to be all X and O's. But when you talk about Mount Rushmore, again, you look at the guys who are up there and why are they there? And I was going to kind of argue my Paul Brown argument, if you really want to get arcane with it, and I certainly do, is that love George that. Washington was a member of the uh, British Army in the war of, uh, uh, in the uh, French and Indian War. He, he fought with the British, and I look at Paul Brown, and he was a part of a of of a rival league to the NFL, and then stepped in, and immediately uh, it was obvious that the yeah. All American Football Conference, I believe, which was the name of it, or All American Football League, All American Football Conference, I think is the AAFC. Um, he, you know, he uh, he brought his success from that to the NFL, and was successful with it right away, which. Um, you, we we all know the NFL is a bit monolithic, and a lot of times it takes years for innovations to creep in. Um, the West Coast offense, which Bill Walsh inserted because of an injury to quarterback Greg Cook, essentially, and in and Cincinnati, and he yep. had to cre- create an offense. Who Greg Cook was this incredibly talented guy who uh, his career was lost to injury very very early on. Big arm, your traditional quarterback. They were presented with quarterbacks uh, who Virgil Carter and guys who weren't that good. And he had to create an offense that didn't require stretching the field. Um, so, uh, yeah. So who are your four, Johnny? Who are your four? Um, my four would be Brown, Lombardi, Belichick, and... It's <laughs> it, the fourth one is is the most difficult because it is. It is the, the teddy is the hardest thing. Um, I, I might are I, I think you can make an argument for Bill Walsh. I think you can make an argument for Don Shula. Um, Chuck Noll maybe. Chuck Noll, yes, it was a it was a little more truncated. It was essentially a decade, um, but. You know, but somebody would talk about team as well, you know, and talk about something from nothing. That was a team that was yep. just years of ineptitude uh, until he got there. Um, I mean, Joe Gibbs, there's an argument for Joe Gibbs. Only only coach to win three Super Bowls with three different starting quarterbacks. Uh, also a guy who was very, very innovative and w- well known for um, adapting to situation. I like, I like adaptive coaches. He was another guy who was very, very, very adaptive, very adaptive. Very adaptive. And I think but you could argue even as parcels. hard ass as Lombardi was to be successful. There has to be a level of adaptation to be a successful coach. But I would say that for the, for the fourth one, the argument has to be between, um, Hallis Walsh and Shula. Okay. Fair enough. 
Jeff? And I, if I had to, if I had to, you could probably convince me that it was Hallis. Okay. But you would put so so. In other words, we would have the same three, and and the you know, although you, although the George Washington for you is Paul Brown. Yeah, it's Paul Brown. Okay, Jeff. Um, I feel like I want to just go with John's same argument. The first three you guys I feel like have nailed. I would have thrown Bill Parcells in to the mix too, though. Right. But. Uh, for the fourth, for for Teddy, I think Parcells would make a good Teddy Roosevelt, wouldn't he? Like he, you could see him on the horse, you know, uh, leading yeah. guys into battle. I could I could see Bill Parcells going bully, bully. <laughs> but does the did. resume for Parcells, you know, and here's the thing you can say about Parcells is success with more than one franchise. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he got a he got a, a one in 15 Jets team in two years to the AFC championship. And he if any Tristan Verde's not injured in 1999, that team's the odds on favorite to to get to the AFC championship again. Exactly. And he got a, a New England team that had a, you know, I think a third or fourth year starter in Drew Bledsoe got them to a Super Bowl and then won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. And frankly, that 1990, the 86 is one of the best teams of all time. And the 1990, you could argue, roster-wise, did not even deserve to even be in the Super Bowl, much less win it. They were able to beat juggernauts, the 49ers and the Bills. In 1990, they were an offensive juggernaut, and they they figured out a way to do it. And, and you know, he, and he without their starting quarterback, because remember, Phil Simms yeah. was still the starting quarterback and got injured. So there are some, you know, you can look at some uh, uh, some of these guys, and there are uh, parallels because it, people may not remember that the seventeen and zero Dolphin season, Earl Morrill quarterback that uh, two thirds of those victories. Right. Bob Greasy broke his ankle, and Morrill took over and was the quarterback of that team until the playoffs when Greasy came back. Um, you uh, you look again at uh, at a guy like uh, a Bill Walsh, who we're arguing about, who really developed an offense because of an injury and had to be uh, had to be fluid with that. The Parcells with Jeff Hostetler. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean there that there are a lot of arguments, and I think Parcells is a great name that doesn't come I, up and probably should. And the trees too that these coaches left behind. To me, that's another big thing. How 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 stock did they leave their their cupboard for their franchise, and how for you know uh, formidable is their tree, and how far does it ex- extend right. the branches and the vines for I these trees? Walsh I, has an extensive one, but obviously Bel- uh, Parcells has Belichick. I I think that really that has a lot to do with what makes one a great coach because that means they're not only coaching that team, they're coaching their assistants that are having an effect on that team, which is why they have such great success. But the uh, the tree shows that they were doing a they were they were the generals of those teams. And it also shows that they have something special because guys could go in the Romeo Cornells and stuff of the world. And the Charlie Weiss has had all the tools that Bill Belichick had given them to build uh, an organization and they were unable to do it. Yeah, um, the, the, the tree stops at Belichick. But I mean, you know, Walsh had Shanahan, had Holmgren. He had multiple Super Bowl winning coaches. He had Andy Reid at one point, John Gruden at one point. So. There, there's a big argument. His tree, you could argue, is 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 the most formidable. But agreed, so, and it, and it, and 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 as was Paul Brown's, and I think that really speaks right. to the fact that both of them were incredibly innovative and innovative 
it, not like the Wildcat where it's innovative for 90 minutes, but right. innovative and successful. And uh, they sent other coaches out there that uh, that were able to continue that. Um, Belichick's success isn't necessarily about having innovative an innovative system on the field, so to speak. It, it has it's an innovative system as being able to create an at, an atmosphere and a, um, a system that guys have to uh, fit into and adhere to, but also being uh, really, really good at some of the softer, uh, what, I, what I'm going to call the softer things of, of football, which is maintaining salary cap outside of uh, stuff, that, outside of the season, uh, finding the right free agents, making the right moves, front office wise and working well with front office personnel, which was a problem for Parcells at times. All right. So we agree on Hallis and Belichick and Lombardi and you, you think uh, Brown as well. And I think Walsh and, uh, cause you're a Homer, uh, and, uh, Jeff thinks per- perhaps Parcells is great. And we can get to s- some of that later on, which I want to do in terms of, uh, all the different things our listeners can do with their voice mem- memos. It doesn't have to be just a poll question. It could be any kind of question we throw out there. And it can also be just something el- else you want to talk about or push back on, but let's go to the progressive trivia. Once again, now we've got eight clues already in the, in the hopper and we'll review those right now over 7,000 all purpose yards in college. It is not OJ. Ten plus year career, zero playoff touchdowns, played with three t- teams, over sixty touchdowns in the National Football League, over three hundred receptions. This guy was a Maxwell Award winner, led the NFL in rushing, had over ten thousand career NFL yards rushed. He led the league in rushing attempts more than once. He's a Pro Bowler. He played in the Sugar, Fiesta, and Cotton Bowls. So that might be able to narrow the conference this guy is from. Played in the Sugar, Fiesta, and Cotton Bowls in college. Won a Maxwell Award in college. Had over 7,000 all-purpose yards in college. You got it right. Nice work. Nice. He beat Who? me to it, too. Nice work, John <laughs> Pelkey. Ah. Yeah, you, uh, gave me, you, you gave me the, the conference thing was, was, the, was the giveaway for me. I figured um, I figured yeah, with yeah, those bowls you would figure it out. Yeah. But uh good one. it's a good one. It's a fun one. And uh boy, some of those stats. And we'll give that to you in just a second. We want to remind you, well, we haven't even said it yet, but we want to remind you that our poll question, we've uh we've kind of tweaked it a little bit, and we're going to give it to you on Monday, and then we're gonna give you the entire week to answer it. Right. Which will be uh an, an awful lot of fun. And the entire week to answer it. You can send us emails. You can uh, talk to us or, 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 or post on our Facebook pages. You can send us voice memos. And Johnny, you can what come is to my home and stay six feet away from me and tell me if you want to. That's right. If you if you were wearing a mask, if you were wearing a mask. Uh, all right. So what's the poll question for this week, Johnny? The poll question for this week has to do with our discussion about politics and sports. And uh, I don't know that we had arrived at com- uh, a, uh, a a final version of it, but uh, we what we really want to know is uh, what are your feelings about athletes being politically active? Does it offend you? Are you okay with it? 
Do you, is it something you think they should do? We, we really want to get people's opinion on this one, Mark, because this is more of an opinion than necessarily, it, it, a, a, you know, a name thing. So we want to know how you feel about it. Yeah. I have no problem with it. I think everybody has a, a, a right to uh, express their opinion, uh, whether I'm offended by that or not. I don't care. I'm I'm the type of person who feels like I, I like it when somebody speaks out and is, and is political. I, my favorite quote, as you know, Mark, is from Dante's Inferno. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those in times of moral crisis maintain their neutrality. So I like that. Some people don't. I think that's valid as well. So that's what yeah. we want to know. Yep. If you're offended or not, or if if you don't mind at all, I, I uh, to your point earlier, John, you can actually keep two thoughts in your head and you can root Sometimes. for someone. You can root for a player that you disagree uh, wholeheartedly with. You brought up the the Sean Penn thing as well, and I and I have said this also is that I've back in the day heard my friends on the right say things that they'll never see a Sean Penn movie, they'll never see a Tim Robbins movie because they disagree with their politics. And I always thought to myself, well, I don't want to be like that. I'm I'm never going to be like that. Well, sure enough, my left wing friends. You know, uh, evident, evidently Clint Eastwood, evidently any 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 movie that Clint Eastwood makes post the 2012, you know, Republican right. National Convention. Right. People are boycotting. And yeah, that's like stupid. it's this it's this. It is. I hate to, I mean, I hate to I, I really hate to do that. I hate to, to cast some sort of judgment on you. But we have a podcast and we get to do it. I just think that's silly and stupid. I can still enjoy. I disagree with everything Ted Nugent has ever said, including <laughs> my name is Ted. I disagree with that. I don't think it is. I think it's Edward and it's not really Ted. But that said, I can still listen to Stranglehold and enjoy the living crap out of it because it's a great song. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's the thing. We we, we want you to just chime in. Are, do you get offended? Does it affect your viewing? Do you not care? Would you boycott? And, can I yeah. can I ask a question? Uh, yes, sir. Do you think that Ted Nugent is singing that song? No, 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 no. I know Ted Nugent's not okay, singing. Okay, good, I, I, good. Trust me, uh, rock and roll historian to a bit. I know that Ted's not singing it, but it, but it is a Ted Nugent song. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people and I think, think it actually that he started sings out as it. Amboy Duke song before that, and then became a, which was the band that he was in, uh, a, a great band actually out of Detroit that he was in. So I know Ted's Ted Ted's not a great singer. And that vocal is very, it's just a good song. Yeah, it, there's that, no argument. The Stranglehold's a great song. That guy sang a few of his hits, actually. He, uh, he's in that documentary about all of the people who were just the players and the bands. I can't remember what it was called, but it's a great documentary. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that, no, that's good stuff. And it, yeah, I, I can separate you're talking about the, the Wrecking Crew? Yeah, so no, about the wrecking no, crew? no, 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 no. That's, okay. Although they were also, that's they were also wrong. Crew. Wow. No. Total, total backup rock and roll group that was used no, multiple but times. It, Ted Nugent's out of Detroit, dude. You're not playing with Hollywood players. Uh, okay, so he never recorded in Los Angeles. I All suppose. right, move on. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Move on. Okay. Well, if he didn't record in Los Angeles, you're right. I'm, but I'm, I'm sure he did. Uh, all right, so the poll question is that, but we also want to encourage you to chime in on our voice memos for, for all kinds of things. I mean, you can chime in for crying out loud if you want to about your Mount Rushmore. You can yep. chime in because I think that's a pretty fun discussion. You can chime in on a favorite memory of Don Shula if you want. You can you can do anything you want. As a matter of fact, Brian Ascari, I I always say Ascari, but now I'm starting to say Ascari. I'm, I'm not sure of the exact pronunciation. I've known the man for over 40 years, so I'm I'm just a. a and it's jerk. interesting because you probably asked him questions about his lineage. 
his children. You probably interrupted stories that he was telling that were going to be enjoyable, but you had to dig too deep. But you never, never thought to ask, how do you pronounce it? If that doesn't encapsulate the the more walk around to that side of the buffet and this, no, I have so many issues as, as the, the movie stealing God pointed out, it's a, I'm riddled. I am riddled with issues. All right. So, uh, he brought up though, Andy Dalton, he brought the contract. He's uh, now signed for, he's got a guarantee for 3 million with the Cowboys as a backup. Uh, he could get seven with incentives. Uh, and he was just wondering about the, the previous contract and how they work. And, and usually with most, these days, they're not guaranteed with with the National Football League, and uh, most of those contracts are are team friendly. Even some of the bigger ones, like Garoppolo's, was very team friendly. They could they could exit out of it with very little cap hit, and they they didn't owe him anything additional. So a lot of the times, the the signing bonuses are huge. With with Andy Dalton, I think he had a twelve million dollar signing bonus. He averaged around seven sixteen seventeen million a year. He was due seventeen million this year, but they let him go, which they were able to do. Um, and uh, in terms of Dax contracts, that's sort of confusing, John, because he is a unrestricted free agent, and Dallas offer you know, Dallas is going to franchise him, but can't Dallas pull that if they wanted to? I mean, if they yes, want that, that I would put him so. on the market, though, right? Which right. I'm sure they would not have a problem with right now, because I think that his off the field shenanigans are starting to add up to better than his on the field performances. Are you talking about the recent uh, little brushback against management? And also the having a going to a party, uh, having a party during the social distancing there. He's he's getting into, he's starting to, to uh, be an issue, I think. Hmm. And, but I, but listen, really, the the fact of the matter is that Jerry Jones has a one ginger minimum. They just needed to fulfill it. <laughs> well, listen, it's funny that you bring this up, Mark, because uh, one of our dedicated listeners, uh, Dane Becker, actually texted me today. His belief is that Jerry Jones scooped him up to uh, to have him on the team to perhaps trade him for something during the season when teams need a quarterback. Uh He's somewhat of an insurance policy for the Cowboys, but then also, uh, you know, maybe uh, it, possibly because we're going to have we, we haven't had uh, OTAs. We're not going to have uh, we may have a truncated uh, preseason so that uh, the need for a veteran quarterback may actually happen a little bit later in the season. And the Cowboys hold on to him. Who knows? They might uh, pick up an extra draft. Uh, draft pick or something and just get him off the board before somebody else goes and get him gets him because there are a number I would not have been opposed to the Washington Redskins my team going out and getting an Andy Dalton I think he's a I think he's somebody also Dane thought that it was just Jerry was trying to make a splash the Cowboys weren't talked about enough which is certainly always a possibility Um, and enough uh, means 90 percent of the time (laughs) I mean they're they're still talked about 88 percent of the time right oh my god right enough for Jerry Go, uh, Brady going to Tampa must have just killed him because that just took up all the air in the room. We didn't talk about them, them cowboys. But uh, so Dane actually, uh, and I hadn't really even thought about that. But 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 it's not a bad. It's really not a bad hypothesis that if you've got no. a solid veteran backup quarterback, uh, it's that's a good thing because they were uh, thin behind uh, Dak. But uh, also to have him as a, as a chess piece for later in the season where you may need to, where you may need something either a draft choice down the line 
Or, you know, maybe maybe you can pick up a, a player that's going to help you if you don't need help at the backup quarterback. I position. think that's a more realistic scenario than the scenario that they're using him as leverage. I think they're going to sign Dak. It's stupid not to sign Dak, no matter what the problem. I mean, Zeke has had his share of problems. And, you know, Amari Cooper didn't at all. But he had no problem making those guys the highest paid receiver and running back, respectively. So I, I unless... Unless Prescott's team is asking for just a just ridiculous money that right. not not even a Jerry Jones can can justify, I, I don't think they're using him as leverage. I, you know, um, I always say I, I'm not going to discount it because I always say follow the money. And as we've talked about on the show many many times, when you have these stories that seem confusing, uh, guys that are let go, picked up, contracts, franchise. If you follow the money, you will eventually get to your answer. But I think having a solid and and Andy Dalton has a very, very good reputation in the league. I think he's handled himself very well. He he's not, you know, well, he's he's not a superstar very well, but he's played well at times. That is an incredibly dysfunctional uh, situation in Cincinnati. Now, moving to Dallas, maybe. You know, that may be out of the frying pan into the fire sort of thing. But I think it's a I think it's a pickup that makes sense. And I said it earlier, Mark, I texted you when it came down. Um, I think it's a really good move for them on a lot of levels. And if you throw in the leverage thing, it, it probably even works for that. There it is. All right. Let's go to our progressive trivia answer. We'll do these uh, clues one more time for everyone. First off, over 7,000 all-purpose yards in college, 10-plus year career, zero playoff touchdowns. What was in four games, by the way, four playoff games, no touchdowns. Played with three teams, uh, would be Baltimore, Miami, and New Orleans. Over 60 touchdowns in the National Football League, over 300 receptions. Maxwell Award winner. Uh, he also won the Heisman. Led the NFL in rushing, over 10,000 yards rushed. Played in the Sugar, Fiesta, and Cotton Bowls because he was in the Big 12. Led the league in rushing attempts more than once. A pro bowler he is. Ricky Williams didn't play with Don Shula, but had a uh, memorable career for the Miami Dolphins. You brought it up, John. It's so funny. It's a kismet kind of connection with you and I, believe it or not. You mentioned the Wildcat. And he and, uh, um, oh, I can't come up with the other guy's name. Who was that? Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown, Ronnie Brown, right. And they were able to turn a 1-15 team to 11-5 team. That year. So, I mean, Ricky, Ricky has some uh, a lot of Dolphin fans have a soft spot for Ricky. I have a soft spot for Ricky, as do he I came to the club a couple of times. And I had a chance to interview him and talk about a sweetheart, just an absolute I interviewed him as well. And he's one of those guys when you talk about keeping two thoughts in your head at the same time. He's another one of those guys when you talk about Jordan's laser focus on his sport. Ricky Williams was dedicated to football and he was obviously had a successful career. Um, he's downgraded because Lip and Mike Ditka spent his whole draft on him, which was really, really stupid for practically anybody you would do that for. I blame George Chalice. Uh, well, I, I think I think that's why he's not on my Rushmore, frankly. And I, I moved him off due to due to that. He didn't teach Ditka well enough. But uh, he he was a guy who had a, a lot of different interests. And I had an opportunity to interview him as well and then speak to him uh, a, a, a little bit off uh, off camera and off the record. And really interesting, really smart, uh, sensitive guy. Good dude. Yeah, um, and uh, and uh, it's unfortunate he never won a championship because he certainly was a good enough player to do oh, it. Over ten thousand yards, John, and we don't yeah. think of him having a, a long career. Over ten thousand yards in the National Football League led the led the league in rushing. 
and we led the league of rushing attempts two years. And there's a little bit of uh, Jeff's earlier uh, the early uh, guess was Herschel Walker, and there's there's certainly a a parallel there because sure. Herschel Walker ended up in Minnesota because Jerry Burns traded his entire team. I believe they traded St. Paul. I think Dallas actually owns St. Paul, Minnesota at this point for Herschel Walker. And nobody can live up to that. It's just setting the expectations way too high. But Herschel Walker, remember, people think, oh, well, Herschel Walker was kind of, he didn't do that well in Dallas. That's why I trade him. He was the best player on the Dallas Cowboys when they traded him. That's what made it so weird. He's the best player on a 1-15 team. We We need to point that out. Right. But if you argue that the talent on NFL teams isn't that far apart, then that still makes you a pretty good player. Yes, indeed. Well, all right. What about the podcast? You don't like to grade them during the show. I do. We're going to first go to you, John Pelkey. Grade yourself. Grade me. Grade the show. Grade Riley Claremont as well. I, I, th- I thought it was a good I thought it was a very good show. I think it's a solid B plus show. All right. Uh, I thought I thought I bounced back from maybe some subpar performances. But that's you know, you know me. It's a risk reward. Uh, I think you've maintained your C plus uh, throughout. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Especially the wrecking crew thing. Really, you were at a B. You were at a B. By the way, the, the whole wrecking crew thing. I don't I, understand how guns. that isn't hired something guns that would is be the name of that completely doc. legitimate to bring up. Yeah, it, it was. There's a documentary about the wrecking crew. There I saw the, the one... directors. I I saw an early cut of that at a film festival. It was like 40 minutes longer than the one that was released. Wow. It's a documentary about right, but it's studio really, musicians who back up rock and rollers. Yeah, but in the in the in the sixties on the West Coast, and at that point, Ted Nugent was in Detroit, and so that's why it doesn't doesn't really work. Fair it. enough. All right, went guns. from a B if to a C for plus a for one. To watch. My goodness, All well, right, it was well. a B minus. You didn't fall that far. Okay, how about you, Jeff? A plus. I'm never going to change it. You guys, I mean, I look up to you both, so I, I would never say it. You, you, word. Need, you need to remedy that immediately, <laughs> sir. Yeah. That's, no, it was uh, fun. And, 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 you know, and I should say this is that we had, we, we planned on talking about all of this, uh, the political stuff, which I found very interesting in the Jordan documentary. I really gotten into that, by the way. Watched the first two episodes and then kind of let it go by, but it is really, really interesting. Um, uh, but then the Don Shula passing, I mean, that's just, that yeah. has to, that has to take up uh, most of, uh, most of your show because, uh, you, you know, we will, we will not see his like, uh, again, probably right. somebody yeah. that 40, what I say? 50, 44 years yeah. in, the, in, the, in national the national football, football league with, I think maybe two years off as a college coach before he, he, he ended up. And here's an interesting thing. A couple of interesting, uh, interesting points is that his first job in the NFL defense, he was a defensive coordinator for the Detroit lions and the head coach was George Wilson, who was the coach of the Miami Dolphins that he replaced. Very nice. Well, you know, Bill Belichick was hired in, uh, I believe, 79 with the New York Giants, along with Bill Parcells and Ray Perkins. But he was in the league before that with the Baltimore Colts, those late 70s Colts. And so he has uh, a 40-plus year legacy already. He's about 50 wins away from Shula, which is, uh, you know, in his in his parlance, it's about five seasons. And... Um, We'll see. I mean, well, he's late 60s. We'll see if he does it. But he's the only close in terms of what he was able to do. Right. Now, at the same time, it's been with one quarterback. It's it's a lot different than what Shula had to deal with. Shula was but 33, still. I think, when he started as a head coach, which really gave him the opportunity, you know, obviously uh, yeah. to, to have a much longer career as a head coach. But, yeah, Belichick's really the only guy I think that you can mention in the same breath at this point as uh, as Shula. All right, well, that does it for us. For Jeff Taylor, for John Pelkey, 
I'm Mark Furrier. You've been listening to After Further Review. Stay safe.